Welcome everyone to SaaScast, the podcast that talks you through the steps you need to future-proof your product. Whether that's building the ultimate marketing team or taking your products global, our guests will help you grow, scale up and work smarter. Today I'm talking to Ryan O'Connell. He is the Chief Operating Officer at Thrive. An experienced customer success leader, Ryan specializes in building and running customer operations teams, including customer success, implementation and support. So before we get started, I'm sure our listeners would just love to hear about your journey to your current position um, as a customer sort of operations expert. How did you get started and what is it about this path in particular that keeps driving you along? It excites you. Yeah, thanks for that, Anthony. Yeah, it's it's been a, what feels like quite a longer journey. Um, I started off uh, working in uh, working in learning, um, helping companies um, uh, improve their learning strategy. And over the years, I've worked for a range of different types of organizations, large uh, conglomerates like BP, Barclays, KPMG, uh, but even running my own business uh, and then working in, in startup and, and scale-ups. And I've kind of honed a bit of an expertise around um, implementations of learning platforms, so typically SaaS uh, learning, uh, learning platforms, learning management systems, learning experience platforms, things like that. Um, and also started to gravitate more towards uh, customer success, which is something I really enjoy. And, and I'd even go back to my first jobs, working in shops and uh, bars and things like that as, as something that really sparked that uh, that joy of working with, with customers. So, um, yeah, so it's been quite a long journey. I, I joined my current company, Thrive, uh, about three years ago. Uh, we're one of the fastest growing learning technologies companies. Uh, and since I've joined, We've uh, we've 10x revenue. Um, our headcount has grown by four times, um, and we've had some great successes along the way. We've got 98% uh, logo retention last year, 127% NRR. So really proud of everything that we've we put in, which um, feels not hopefully not the culmination, uh, but the current stage of of quite a long and, and varied journey. That's, that's really really great. It's interesting to hear that you know. Um even before working particularly in this sector, you know, maybe working in more kind of hospitality jobs as well, kind of uh, cultivated an interest in, in customer success. I think people don't talk enough maybe about how um, how transferable skills factor in to this kind of work sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point. And, um, you know, and I've seen this in a number of uh, different organizations where you can, you can look at people who've got that on-the-ground experience of working in, customer service it's very different from success but a lot of those skills you're absolutely right they're they're, they're really transferable and um, as much as everything kind of dealing with uh dealing with lots of different situations everybody who's worked in customer service will know you have to deal with angry customers unreasonable customers uh, and that that gives you a certain sense of resilience which um, can bode well with many different career paths really so yeah yeah i, I think it's something that's really important yeah, absolutely. That's and it's not an easy skill dealing with with having to deal with anger. Definitely have anger and complaints. Like you know, it definitely requires uh definitely a skill that needs to be honed, I imagine, over time. Yeah, and, and look, hopefully it's not one that you need to uh, to draw on every day. I think when, when you work in customer success for any organization, you do occasionally have to deal with um, you know, really, really unhappy customers, but I I won't pretend that I've had to draw too much from my experience of, of having people shout at me because their you know and their food was cold or anything like that but uh yeah like you say it's uh it's a good skill set to have 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, it's 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 more stressful as well when you're dealing with big money at stake. I suppose, you know. Yeah, it can be. And people are people are very conscious about um, about budgets at the best of times, but especially these days with this kind of economic climate that we're in, um, it becomes more important to make sure you're delivering. Um, you know, and the customer feeling the value for for the spend that they put in. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, it's 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 definitely something. I like how you tied that into the current economic situation as well. It's something we've been writing about a lot right now. How you have to perhaps deal with stress. Uh, customers are perhaps even more highly strung at the moment for various reasons. For those reasons. Um, so today specifically, we're talking about customer advocacy. Um, specifically, how customer advocacy advocacy can sort of aid SaaS companies in their growth efforts. Why are we talking about customer advocacy today, and why is that? Why should that be a key part of the conversation right now? Particularly customer success. Let's tie back to, to that. Yeah, let's let's tie back to that customer. Uh, sorry, to that economic climate piece. Um, you know, with the cost of uh, the cost of acquiring new customers versus the cost of retaining new customers. Um, it makes sense to to make every customer as much of an advocate as possible, so that your um, you know, so you're not having to spend as much on on bringing in new customers to replace those that churn or, or leave. Um, but I think every every SaaS company should be looking at NRR or net revenue retained, um, which is a really really good measure of um, how much your customer base are growing. In other words, it's a measure of how your customer success team are performing versus your sales team, um, and. And really, customer advocacy is, uh, well, customer retention and growth is really key to NRR, clearly. And customer advocacy is, is a key piece of that because you find that, um, you know, happier customers um, who really understand the value of the products and services you're providing will be much more likely to renew um, and, and potentially buy more services. Again, it's all going to come down to that value. Um, but if you're providing value for your customers, you typically are creating uh, advocates because you're essentially going to make your economic buyers look good, um, and that's a that's a really good way to um, to cost up increase advocacy. So any SaaS company should be looking at not just not just bringing in new customers, not just keeping that that sort of pipeline uh, open. They should be really looking at the uh, customer success, retaining customers, growing customers and uh, engineering a, a, a real kind of advocacy network um, because it, it really pays for itself once they've done that. Yeah, that's great. And I imagine it's it's kind of, it does wonders just for your kind of brand reputation. Um, just, you know, when you have, you can have those testimonials up there of people, you know, who are, who are shouting from the rooftops about how great your product is for, for free, essentially, you know, they're not being paid. They're just, they're just, you know, yeah. they experience the value. And uh, I imagine that, you know, that has more value in some ways than, you know, for example, say like a paid influencer, maybe talking about how, how great your product is, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really good point. And, and certainly a thrive. Uh, authenticity is something that we would really, uh, that we're really keen to, to continue to promote. So we don't use influencers and things like that and, and the industry experts. We, we let our customers do the talking. You're absolutely right. The... Um, the, the the power and impact of that is is phenomenal. Now it makes it makes to everybody internally. It makes for quite a happy work environment because instead of instead of kind of firefighting all the time, 
you're, you're dealing with, um, you know, happy customers and advocates, but those customers to go out to bat for you, uh, um, who post about what you're doing on LinkedIn, who answer customer other like prospect queries about, you know, what, uh, what service should I use? And, and they're there sort of promoting yours. I mean, it, it's, you're absolutely right. It, it's such a valuable resource. Um, and it, it really helps kind of sort of promote, um, authority. Because other prospects will look at your organization and see all of your customers going out to bat for you uh, and I will recognize that you must be an authority in that space. And therefore, you know, if you're in a sales cycle, we'll take that sales, sales cycle slightly more, uh, slightly more seriously. So, you know, active ad advocates and unprompted advocates who, who just post about how brilliant you are without prompting is you know, it is a really, really valuable part of, of, of your kind of sort of marketing and, and growth strategy, really. Yeah, I imagine so, definitely. But let's say you decide, you know, you're a startup and you decide that you want to build a, a customer advocacy program or whatever you want to call it. Um, how do you get started with, with building this kind of thing? Like, what, what, what would be the first steps? Would it be just kind of identifying particularly engaged customers? Yeah, I think so. So the the first thing you need to you need to be prepared to do is is to invest in, in customer success. Excuse me. So there are a lot of there are a lot of sort of commentaries about how do you how do you determine how many customers each CSM should work with. You know, there's lots and lots of different ways of approaching it, and I, I won't I won't suggest that one way is better than another. But what I will say is it's going to be very very difficult to. Um, you know, to generate advocacy if your CSM is looking after as some companies do, 80 to 100 customers, um, it's going to be very difficult. So you need to start by being be quite bold and saying that customer success is going to be at the forefront of everything. And then um, you're looking at, at who are those advocates. Now, if you're early on in your journey, you've probably got some early adopters there um, and, and that there's quite a good, you can typically tap into that early adopter kind of enthusiasm to, to generate a bit of advocacy. And it might be that they're enthusiastic because you're offering something new or a different take on uh, on, a, on a certain way of working within your particular industry. Um, so work with those early advocates to talk about their journey. Well, why did they throw in with you, uh, uh, you know, very early on before you had, you know, a million case studies and, and a whole bunch of uh, customers and, and history behind you? Tapping into that, um, and getting them to talk about why they chose you, what they're achieving, uh, is really good. And typically, I find that uh, um, that people are quite happy to do that because it's something that's mutually beneficial. You're getting somebody talking about um, the great stuff they've done with your product, and your customers getting uh, an opportunity to talk about what they've done, which is generally quite good for uh, you know for their career, for their personal brand, uh, and for boosting the work that they've done. So I think. Really looking at those early adopters is, um, you know, it, it is, is a great way of doing it. And then as you start to build that, I spoke about investing in customer success, making sure that your CSMs have time to spend with each customer to make sure they're getting that value and that the CSM is extracting and curating the story. Um, and then I, I guess the final thing is really just making sure that, that within the organization, um, everybody recognizes that customer success and the whole customer experience isn't just the responsibility of one team. It's something that's the responsibility of everyone from 
the product team to the sales team to the marketing team, everyone's got a you know got a part to play in this. Um, so really, that's that's how I sort of look at creating a uh, you know a, 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 an advocacy strategy from from the from the outset. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I think is that um, I think perhaps to some people, something like um, customer advocacy just on the surface could probably sound like kind of a nice to have. Um, so I suppose it's about I can see why convincing the whole organization that it's kind of a that it's something that's going to be an essential tool, it's going to become a must have, um, would perhaps be your first step. I can definitely, I mean, I don't personally see how it could just be seen as a nice to have, but I could definitely see how maybe some people who aren't familiar with the term could look at a phrase like customer advocacy and think, well, that just seems like a kind of a superfluous nice to have kind of thing, you know? Yeah, exactly that. And I think as we see, as we see the whole industry of customer success evolve, you know, it's one of the fastest growing industries in of itself. Um, I think people understand the part that it can play within the, uh, you know, uh, for, for the organization's health and financial growth um, more and more. So, yeah, look, I, I think I think the numbers speak for themselves. When you've got high levels of customer advocacy, um, you you tend to have higher growth in AOR, NOR and things like that. So I, th- I think it becomes clear once you look at the numbers. Great. Um, so... I mean, there must be, it can't be plain sailing this kind of thing. Like, what are some of the kind of common pitfalls that people have to watch out for when trying to do this kind of thing? Some of the common hurdles to overcome? Some are easier to overcome than others. But uh, the first one I'd say, and it's it's quite, in one sense, it's quite an obvious one. But if you're you're a SaaS company and you, you, you know, your technology isn't quite delivering what customers need. So either there's big, big product gaps or, and, you know, it's an unstable product. Perhaps there's lots of downtime or, or, or bugs and things like that. It doesn't matter how much you invest in customer success or, or how good your customer experience is, that will be a, uh, that will be a detractor. Now, it might mean that everything just gets slightly downgraded. So instead of, you know, advocates, you just have customers that renew. Instead of customers that renew, you have customers that churn. Um, doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have a whole bunch of uh, detractors, um, but but the simple fact is that if, if the technology is 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 an impediment to, to the service that you're trying to deliver and the value you're trying to provide, creating customer advocacy is, I mean, almost impossible, very difficult. Your mileage may vary, but I, I think it's I think it's almost impossible. Um, you know, if you're battling against the the technology, so what you'll find is all of the people who are trying to generate and curate that um, customer advocacy tend to just be firefighting. So, first and foremost, if you run a SaaS company, you've got to make sure that the technology uh, the technology works and enables everything that you're trying to do. Um, and it, the other one, and I've spoken about it already, is is about investing. Like, you know. Creating advocacy isn't necessarily cheap. Um, you can do it. It, it. You know, you can do it without spending the earth. You do just need to make sure that people have the time um, to spend time with customers. To again, I keep using the word value, but make sure that you can can find the value that your products and services are bringing. And what that typically means is you're looking at what um, positive impact your products and services have had on the organisation's business goals and objectives. Um, 
in order to do that, your CSMs need time or whoever it is that, that's working with customers needs time to do that. That typically means um, that you need to have, a, you know, a, a team large enough to facilitate that, which is where that investment piece comes on. Um, everything else is, is just a bonus. You can invest money in, in hosting customer events. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later and, and taking customers out. You can do all of that. But the first bit of investment is really making sure that you've got a team with the time to find that value and to work with customers to showcase that value to create the advocacy. So I think technology and investment um, are the two biggest things that you need to get right in order to create that um, landscape for customer advocacy. Yeah, I suppose it could backfire as well if you if you try and create customer advocates who you kind of put on a pedestal and give a voice and then their experience turns very negative because you're not prepared for it. Like it could definitely, it could have the exact opposite effect. I can imagine that, that you'd imagined it would have. Yeah. I, I have to be careful about how much detail I give it, but I've definitely worked at an organization where, you know, where we have to spend quite a lot of time trying to keep uh, customers apart. Um, you know, find a customer event or what have you, and you don't want customers to speak because you don't want them sharing them the negative experiences, and it makes it really, really difficult. Um, and again, you you almost don't want your customers posting about you on LinkedIn and things like that. So, look, it, you're absolutely right, and you, you know, and, and again, when you when you get it right, uh, the success definitely follows, and and it's it's, it's unarguable, really. And so you have to have really like tremendous faith in the value of your product before you start this kind of thing in a way that you like it's kind of like because like i was saying it's it's um like you know it, it's not going to work unless unless the product itself is is sound you know it's not going to work so i guess it's kind of yeah it's kind of i don't know correct me if you think i'm wrong i mean maybe that's just an obvious thing to say but it's kind of like everything you have to be sure that everything else is is working in a way that's going to please people before you introduce this maybe yeah but i i guess slightly further to say that you know you should be answering that question before you even go to market um yeah, yeah or you know but it's a really good point um most most of the SaaS companies that that i look at you know, most of them are, are delivering something new, something a bit different, or even if it's similar to a lot of their competitors, they've got their own sort of spin on it. Um, but uh, uh, the ones that fail, the ones that you know, perhaps we don't always hear about, uh, the ones that fail are the ones that probably haven't haven't taken that time to make sure that there's something that you know that they're delivering value. That there's a real reason why people um, want to buy your product, use your platform, use your services. Um, so it sounds really obvious to us, but to the companies that that fail, uh, they probably haven't answered that question. So never mind generating advocacy; they're probably not generating that that sort of you know um, uh, customer retention um, that, that's necessary to make a successful business. It's one of the reasons, isn't it? Well documented that startups fail is is simply not they're not providing a product that that provides value or that solves a problem that's out there. You know, it's kind of a case of people sort of thinking like, oh, this is a really cool thing. This does a really cool thing. But what what problem does it actually solve is the question. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. And that's and that's where the value piece comes in. So, you know, you need to be solving the problem. You need to be, um, you know, delivering something that is going to point to business impact or or some something that's going to align to somebody's goals and objectives. Without that, um, you know, it's very difficult 
very difficult to succeed and, and certainly you won't get those that that customer advocacy that we're uh, that we're trying so hard to generate that's great yeah so how do you define which customers are are advocates specifically like when you when you're initially going out trying to build out your kind of board of advocates or whatever it is you're calling it yeah so so look i mean every organization is going to be different so i'll tell you what we do we we we've got a you know a, a, a very deep desire to, to kind of measure everything um you know we measure as much as we can so we look at certain behaviors that tend to indicate that somebody's an advocate um so i'll give you an example we uh, i'll give you an example for something we don't do actually so we we don't measure nps um uh, a lot of our competitors do and it's a, certainly it's a perfectly valid um method of of, of sort of gauging customer happiness really um so but essentially instead of constantly surveying our customers and asking whether they still like us or whether they prefer us instead we measure actual referrals so we measure the customers who have actually referred us because we, we hear about it when somebody enters our sales pipeline obviously we've analyzed how did they enter the sales pipeline you know they might, might be might seen us on you know on some sort of google sponsored ad or they might be referred by by an existing customer so we measure that um, and that sort of dictates whether that's a, a, certainly a a data point that suggests that somebody might be an advocate. But we measure loads of other things as well. We measure who's doing case studies with us, um, who's posted about us on on LinkedIn. And again, these are unprompted posts. So we we get customers who who uh, posted on LinkedIn sort of celebrating that they've gone live, or even that they've renewed with us and they're looking forward to another year with Thrive and that sort of stuff. We actually measure that. We put that into our internal system. So we could sort of go, okay, that's another thing that suggests that they're a, uh, they're an advocate. We look at who's posting reviews, positive reviews, obviously. Um, who's posting, you know, who's joining us on on the webinars? Um, who's going up on stage with us, talking about, you know, talking about something that's relevant in our industry? Um, all of these things are like paint a picture of advocate. So we look for certain elements of these that our customers are doing, uh, and as a result, rather than having a board of advocates and that is something that, that a lot of organizations do there's, there's certainly a lot of validity in that so if having a board of advocates we're looking to create a cohort of advocates who should make up the majority of our customers we would say roughly roughly slightly more than 50 percent um, of our customers do some of the behaviors that would point towards advocacy uh, so we don't necessarily do anything special with those customers because we like to keep a, a whole ecosystem of uh customers you know uh, that we can use for different things we can use to help um you know uh, help suggest roadmap uh, um uh, additions and things like that for join us on uh, case studies or awards uh, and things like that so we we measure as many different data points as we can to build up that that uh, you know to build up that picture really and when you say cohort, do you, are you bringing them together at events or things like that? Or yeah, but I would say I would say, yeah we we are doing that with customers generally. But what we're not doing is we're sort of saying like well, these are our advocates. We're going to bring these advocates together. But part of the reason for that is if you've got somebody who's uh you know if you've got a customer that might be slightly more on the say they've not adopted the product as well as you you'd have liked. It's probably quite good to get them in with uh in with advocates 
So we know who our advocates are that we can use for things like marketing and, and sort of stuff like that, sort of any kind of sales initiatives. Uh, but we don't do anything particularly special with them. We, we would get, um, we, we're quite lucky where we are. We don't, we don't really have any unhappy customers, but we would get unhappy customers to contribute to our roadmap, to join us on product forums, just as much as we would with advocates. Because we're just hearing from the people that, that you know, that, that love us. Then there's a limit to how much we can learn, grow and improve ourselves, which is why we would, we would always look to, um, you know, to sort of tap into to, to the wider customer network rather than just the 50, 60% of customers we would class as, as either advocates or displaying advocate behavior. That's great. So, but there must be then I imagine some kind of uh, incentive other than, other than just sort of getting on LinkedIn and saying that you're an advocate of your company. Are, are there examples that you can give us of, of, of some perks that may be appropriate to offer to a customer advocate? Well, so we, yeah, I mean, the, the way that we do it is we, we look at, we look at a few different things, right? So, um, so I mentioned before about making your, making your stakeholder look good. Um, so we, those customers who are real advocates for us, and this is a probably an unofficial way of, of looking at it. But if you do an advocate, we'll invite you to come up on stage or, or uh, join us on webinars or do case studies to talk about the great work that you have done. So uh, I mentioned about this being kind of mutually beneficial. We will, um, you know, we will we will boost our own profile, but we'll also make sure that we're celebrating the great work that our, our stakeholders have done. So that's quite a big one. And then the, the other thing in it, and it, sort of, it taps into a little bit to ego, but we will we will work with advocates um, in going for various awards. And again, you can see the kind of mutually beneficial, you know, kind of outcome of that if you uh, you know if you're successful in that. But working with customers who have thrown in with us, who have done great work, who have got great, you know, uh, data led case studies behind them, we want to we want to reward that by saying, well, okay, well we'll 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 submit for an award. And, and, and I guess the incentive is to you know we'll. We'll pay for it because um, you know the awards don't come for free these days. Um, so we'll, we'll pay for it. We'll, we'll sort all the logistics out. We'll join you. Join us for an award. And we'll put that. Uh, we'll put that case study together again. I won't shy away from the fact that that um, you know that's mutually beneficial. But it is definitely something that we find is quite an incentive. So we try to make it a little bit more natural, much more authentic than. I don't know some things that some companies do, and I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad method. But things like we don't do kind of sort of preferred pricing. We don't do um, you know certain uh, you know we don't limit who can talk to our product team or who can influence the way we run our business to only advocate. So we don't do anything like that. We just have these more kind of sort of natural uh, um, uh, ways to of kind of promoting the great work uh, that our customers have done. Again. Make your customers look good, make your stakeholders look good. Things tend to follow on quite nicely from that. And I suppose actually like, you know, offering somebody the the chance of perhaps like professional development, which is what you do potentially make someone an advocate. Um, it's it's the it's the best kind of incentive you can have for these kind of platforms that you're running. Especially something like Thrive, yeah. Yeah, exactly that. And and again, I've used the word kind of authentic a few times. You know that, that that's really important because you're, you know, you're, you know, you're helping people's development. You're helping people's personal brand, boost their profile, help their careers. Um, in a way that's quite authentic. It's not a kind of, 
pay to play system or, or, or anything like that. There's, there, there's a, a level of authenticity, which I think is really, really important. So yeah, I, I completely agree. So you've mentioned before about, you know, how it's important that everyone has to be aligned behind this. Everyone has to buy into this, but how do you make that other than kind of maybe key stakeholder kind of C-suite buy-in? How do you get the whole organization to see the importance of customer advocacy? Different, your various different teams. Yeah. So outside of customer uh, customer success or customer operations teams, yeah, that, that's where the uh, that's where the challenge is. So first of all, what we do is is we talk about it. You know, as often as we need to. It's it's core to our business, and therefore we talk about it as though it's core to our business. Um, so we, you know, whether you're you know, whether you're a front-end developer or you're a marketing specialist or you're, uh, you know, uh, uh, an SDR, you understand what, um, you know, what, what 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 the customer experience is within our organization and therefore what advocates are and, and why they're important and how we generate them. So that's kind of sort of first piece. In terms of kind of incentivizing, I think people, again, we've spoken about boosting people's profiles. Um, people within our organization want to, you know, they want the opportunity to work on on really interesting pieces of work. So again, using those same examples, if you're a front-end developer and you've got an opportunity to work with some of our customers on, on some exciting new features and you get the opportunity to really innovate, listen to customer pain points, um, you know, you're going to, you know, that's something that could be quite, um, quite motivating to you to be involved in something that's innovative to get spoken about. So we give people those opportunities to work with our really exciting customers, the advocates who are really pushing the boundaries and trying to do more. Um, and, and what we find is that the people naturally tend to buy into that no matter what their role is. And again, it, it's, it's something that you'd expect customer success to be really, um, really enthusiastic about generating advocacy. But by giving people outside of that team opportunities to work with those innovative customers, we tend to find that they, you know, that they they become very invested in it, um, in it themselves. So we really make it core part of um, of basically everything we speak about internally. Yeah, I suppose it's it's a good point, isn't it? That like kind of you know if. If you work to get people within the organization invested in what the, the work actually is, then they will naturally become more enthusiastic. And I suppose if you do kind of silo people maybe and think like that's not your role, then you're going to lead to kind of um, desensitized kind of people, you know, who aren't very maybe interested in, in, in reaching out to customers or maybe doing the best work that they possibly can or working with customer data or whatever it is. Yeah. And that's a really, really great point. I think it's, it's partly about how you how you include the customers yourself what your attitude is towards them in, in their role in the company maybe yeah exactly that and and yeah look it, it's about providing opportunity to people who might want to might want to explore certain things with with, with customers um i think probably the other thing i'd just add is we use a customer success platform um and and the csp that we use is a platform called planet actually it offers it's got an interesting pricing model and it offers um uh, unlimited licenses. So what that allows us to do is to bring the whole organization onto the CSP um, uh, so that they can see 
loads of information about customers. They can see everything from what use cases they're working towards, what set of metrics they've achieved, and that can really help kind of generate interest and, and intrigue about what our customers are doing. And again, it's a great way to sort of, you know, to, to allow people to sort of go, well, you know, that customer did something interesting. You know, it sparked this idea, I'm going to pursue it. So when you've got that kind of ecosystem internally, I think that can uh, that could be a good thing. Yeah, by keeping them in the loop about what's going on, I think. Yeah, for again, going back that siloing people in a way. Yeah, sort of think this is this, and it kind of keeps them. It, it makes them aware, I guess, potentially as well of their impact on the business. When you do, when you kind of thing, which is you know, is what everyone wants to see. Everyone wants to see that their work is is valuable, potentially. Yeah, exactly that. Potentially great. So just to 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 wrap up, I thought we'd maybe just. With you being a kind of an expert in customer success and a customer operations leader in general, I was just wondering, like, what are the qualities, the key qualities, maybe go for three, that you look for someone who's aspiring to be in customer success or customer operations in general? You know, what would you what would you look for? Well, um, yeah, it's a great question. So, uh, well, the first one I would say, if, if you're aspiring to be in customer success um, is... You need to be really kind of enthusiastic about it. And and when I'm interviewing uh, CSNs for us, we're looking for that level of enthusiasm, you know, passion, energy, that kind of stuff. There needs to be something that, that kind of drives you to want to do it. Look, it's a little bit like if you want a career in, in customer service, you you know, you need to really want it. You, yeah, and I would say that there's something similar in, in customer success. That has to be something driving you. So we, we definitely look for that. Um, the second one that I think is quite important, um, and it, it's one that people are that comfortable talking about, but you do need commercial acumen. Ultimately, this is a commercial role, whether your organization is more concerned with retention or more concerned with growth, whether you look after um, uh, cust- customer-led opportunities or not, you've got to have a commercial acumen. You need to be able to talk to people who've essentially spent often thousands on your product uh, and what to make sure you know you've got the value so that commercial acumen it is really important really? last one i'll say is actually it's it's something that's really important for i think for hiring companies it is uh, and it's certainly something that i've got is a we always look for people with industry experience so with my company thrive we're in uh we're with the uh learning technologies industry we we work with l and d folks so I look for somebody with similar experience. Ultimately, any CSM that joins my company, I need them to be able to speak to our stakeholders who are typically L&D personnel. So whether they've worked in L&D, they've sold to L&D, they've been at a customer success manager for a competitive company, um, it doesn't matter. They just need to be able to, um, you know, to kind of sort of talk to, talk to our economic buyers in their own language. That's true regardless of what your industry is if you're if you're selling recruitment solutions or hr platforms or anything else you should look for csms who have some level of um of experience within your industry so they can talk to your customers in their language so the three things i would say is you know kind of passion and enthusiasm commercial acumen and, and you know that kind of industry experience is is really important that's really fantastic, Ryan. Uh, thank you so much for that. I think, um, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. I think um, 
our, our listeners are really, really going to benefit from this conversation. Certainly. Yeah. No, and I've really enjoyed it. Thanks very much for, uh, for inviting me on. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of SaaScast. Please join us next time for more top insights from the leading minds in SaaS.